I'm Timothy Putnam, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week we gather right here to explore the foundations of our faith, to look at the implications of our faith on our daily lives so that together you and I can prepare to live outside the walls. Every store you go into, the Halloween decorations are up, the costumes are out, the candy is already just lining the shelves, which I always find interesting because if you buy the candy when it first comes out, it's not going to be worth eating at the uh, at, at when Halloween actually shows up, right? Um, nevertheless, you have months uh, of this candy in the aisle that's all Halloween themed because, of course, you can't just have normal wrapping paper on a festive day like Halloween. You've got to have your skeletons and your ghouls and your goblins and uh, the, the green witches with the, the ward on the nose and everything else to sell candy appropriately for this time of year. Um, we always have fun uh, around All Hallows' Eve uh, doing Halloween costumes like uh, uh, martyrs and saints. And and so you can still have your fun with the scary, uh, but it's... it's uh, it's t- attached to the faith. So when we take, you know, the take them out trick or treating and you've got the little one who's just barely walking, uh, we put them in a red shirt and they, uh, they have little cookie sheets. We've done this a couple of years. I don't think we're doing it this year. A uh, little cookie, great uh, cooling rack that's over the front of them. Uh, and then they've got a little clear bag that's got flames in it. Uh, and so naturally people say, Oh, who were you? And you're like, Oh, it's St. Lawrence. He was grilled alive. And you, you, these same people who would be just perfectly fine if you said he's a zombie uh, get a little weirded out by the fact that here's this two-year-old dressed up as a saint who was martyred for the faith. Uh, so you can have all kinds of fun uh, with your neighbors and your children uh, long about Halloween. So the kids are, you know, they've picked out who they want to be. Mom is hard at work uh, sewing their costumes because that's the way she rolls. And uh, and Halloween is just about upon us. And what better time, uh, as, as we approach All Saints Day and All Souls Day, to begin contemplating our own death. Uh, today we're going to be talking with Sister Teresa Alethea Noble of the Daughters of St. Paul, and we're going to be talking about a, new, uh, a couple of new books that she's got out that center around this idea of remembering our death. There's this phrase that was popular for a very long time, memento mori, Remember your death, uh, because time flies. And while we think that we have so much uh, important things to do here on earth, the truth of the matter is, is that we blink and our kids are grown and we blink again and our kids are taking care of us and we blink again and our life is at its end. And so all of these things that take our attention and and make us uh, so crazy right now or get us so stressed out and worked up right now, Ultimately, these are not the things that last. These are not the things that ultimately matter. And so the saints for, for uh, time immemorial have encouraged us to focus on and remember and meditate on the fact that we're going to die. This is not something that's supposed to be scary. Uh, it's not something that's supposed to be a threat. It's something that's supposed to help us put our life into proper perspective and to order our priorities in such a way that we focus on what really matters. Uh, The readings from Scripture this week 
just really dovetail nicely into this. And of course, we're going to do our main reading from Scripture uh, at the last segment, like we always do. But um, there were two this week that just really stood out to me as emphasizing this idea of paying attention to our death. And uh, so I'm going to read one of them to you now from Luke 12. As Jesus is talking to his disciples, he says, Be sure if the master of the house had known the hour when the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be prepared, for at an hour you do not expect, the Son of Man will come. And I love this because Peter, Peter wants to make sure he's understanding. He says, uh, Lord, is this parable meant for us or for everyone? It's like, okay, you're, 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 that sounds kind of threatening. <laughs> are, are you looking at me, Jesus, or, or should, can I be okay with this? And you're actually talking to those people out there who don't know you like I know you. And then the Lord replied to him. He said, who then is the faithful and prudent steward? whom the master will put in charge of his servants to distribute the food allowance at the proper time. Blessed is that servant whom his master on his arrival finds doing so. Truly, I say to you, he will put him in charge of all his property. But if that servant says to himself, my master's delayed in coming and begins to beat the men servants and maidservants and eat and drink and get drunk, then that servant's master will come on a day unexpected at an unknown hour and will punish the servant severely and assign him a place with the unfaithful. That servant who knew his master's will, but did not make preparations nor act in accord with his will, shall be beaten severely. And the servant who was ignorant of his master's will, but acted in a way deserving of a severe beating, shall be beaten only lightly. Much will be required of the person entrusted with much, and still more will be demanded of the person entrusted with more. And so that was Jesus's answer Is this for everyone or for us? Well, it's for everyone, but especially for us who have been entrusted by God with these great gifts, uh, the gift of faith and the gift of resources by which we can go out and help build his kingdom. And so for those of us who know God and who love God and who know his will, it's incumbent upon us to live a life that reflects God's priorities puts aside uh, the, the desires that you and I may have uh, for the way we spend our time or our entertainment or the way that we spend our resources, and to order those things according to God's priorities, according to the will of God, so that we, in praying every week, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, might then go out and fulfill that in the same way, thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And let me, with my resources and my priorities and my time and my energies, make that manifest and help bring about the answer to that prayer through the gift of God. We're going to be talking today with Sister Teresa Alethea Noble of the Daughters of St. Paul. She tweets over on Twitter, at Pursued by Truth, and she's been meditating for this last year on her own death with the hashtag Memento Mori. We're going to talk with her about a new book she's got coming out, uh, a Memento Mori Lenten uh, devotional as well as journal. Don't go anywhere. There's much more to come right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. Tempest Fugit, Memento Mori. Time flies, remember your death. And not in a way that will make you fearful, but in a way that will remind you that all of the things that trouble us today are temporary and are passing away. And so we need to order our lives according to the will of God and those things which are eternal. We're talking today with Sister Teresa Alethea Noble, uh, a former atheist who, by the grace of God, is now a religious sister with the Daughters of St. Paul, author of the book, The Prodigals You Love, Inviting Loved Ones Back to the Church, and two books that are coming up about this concept of remembering our death, a journal and a Lenten devotional. Both of those are available for pre-order right now. Uh, Sister, you were, I think, the very first interview that we ever had on this program way back when. Uh, It's still archived over at Outside the Walls. If you really want to hear it, that's great. But don't judge because it was my first interview. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But we're we're so glad to have you back on today. Thank you. Thanks for having me on, Timothy. So a little over a year ago, um, you had this, uh, this wild hair to buy uh, one of the Halloween decoration skulls uh, and put it on your desk to remind you of your death. Kind of like as you look at the old pictures of saints, you've got um, St. Francis and St. Jerome and and all of these pictures of saints. You're going to find a skull somewhere on a desk as some sense of reminder that death is coming. Uh, Talk a little bit about what, what the impetus for that was, and then we'll move on to what you've learned in that interim intervening year. Yeah. So I, our founder, blessed James Alberione actually kept a skull on his desk. It was a skull and crossbones. And I I remember reading about that before I entered the daughters of St. Paul. And I just thought that's super cool. I'm just, I'm just, that's metal. I'm going to do that at some point. (laughs) And so it just kind of was in the back of my mind, but I didn't, I didn't really understand the tradition that he was entering into by doing that. I just thought it was cool. And so at one point I, last year, I think God just kind of brought it back to the forefront of my mind. And I was mentioning it at table. And one of the sisters said, well, I have a little skull and my Halloween supplies, I'll give it to you. And so she gave it to me. It's this little ceramic skull and I put it on my desk and I I had, you know, I had some understanding that there's a tradition of meditating on death in the church, but as I've gone through this journey and as, as I've looked up, uh, readings from the saints and from the church fathers and read through scripture, I've realized that, that this is, this is a tradition that, you know, stretches back to the beginning of salvation history when God reminds Adam and Eve of their mortality. And we hear those words on Ash Wednesday, you are dust and to dust you shall return. So remember, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. That's what we hear on Ash Wednesday. So this is um, this is something very deep in our history. It's not just when people think Memento Mori, they think, oh, this is medieval times. And it was very popular, and Memento Mori and the symbols were very popular in that time. But this is a tradition that goes back very far. And the church fathers all talk about it. Lots of saints talk about it. And so now, as I've entered into this rich tradition, it's really been life-changing for me and for others. And of course, you've been, you've journaled over the course of this year uh, on Twitter. You've uh, had day number, whatever the day is, and some little thing that you've learned from having the skull on your desk. 
And, you know, a lot of people, we, we look at that and we, we look at the, the skulls and the Halloween decorations and we kind of think, oh, that's morbid. Uh, or mm-hmm. we hear God say, remember your dust and to dust you shall return. And it's like, well, that, that feels like it's almost belittling or a threat. And really, it's quite the opposite. It's a reminder that there are things that matter more than the things that bug us today, right? The, the things that consume our time, they're passing away. And so as we remember that we're dust and to dust we shall return, there is an eternal component to our lives. Uh, and those things are the things that really matter and deserve our attention. Yeah, definitely. And I would say that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm on day 400 and something. I'm almost on day 500. And over the process of tweeting about this every day, and the reason I started tweeting about it was really just practical, I thought. I want to do this every day. Um, in St. Benedict's rule, he actually uh, exhorts his monks to meditate daily on your desk. So I thought, I want to do this every day. And so I started tweeting about it just so I would do it every day, really just sit down and think about my death. And in this journey, you know, it's kind of gone in cycles, but, um, and, and it's, it's going to be a lifelong journey, but, but my view of death has, has slowly been changing. And I think death can be a very frightening thing to think about and to meditate on. Mm -hmm. And it definitely brought up fears and anxiety. Um, And it still does. I think that, I think that's normal, but, but as I've meditated on the Christian view of death, um, skulls and, and symbols of death to me have become much less frightening Mm -hmm. and much more simply reminders of, of the afterlife and of God. Yeah. Now, sister Teresa, you, you, tweet on Twitter over at Pursued by Truth. And of course, you did this to help you remember to do it every day because you are a member of the media nuns. Uh, This is part of your daily life. Uh, And even so, even though you were doing this in a very public forum, did you expect the kind of uh, public relationship to these tweets that you've ended up getting? Not at all. In fact, when I first started, I thought, you know, I'll just do this for a couple weeks. And and then uh, people just started really responding to it. And that made me think, oh, this is, this is something more than just something that God's doing with me, because it was definitely something that God was doing with me and in my spiritual life. But as I saw people responding to it, I was realizing, actually, God wants me to do this, you know, with and for other people also. And so it, it's been a pro- like, I never expected it to become what it's become at all. Um, but it was God, God's idea. And as it unfolded, it just became clearer and clearer that this was something that, that God wanted to happen and that God wanted to help people to meditate on death, you know, through my daily thoughts, but also through the projects that have come out of it with, with my other sisters. And so I'm hoping that, that as the way that it's changed my own life, that it can have that impact on other people and already people have told me that it's, it really has, has helped them in many and various ways. You know, a couple, uh, back when you first got to that year, uh, a couple of months ago, uh, you tweeted, all right, we, we were coming up on a year. Uh, are, are you guys going to let me quit doing this? And uh, <laughs> the, the overwhelming response was, no, we need you to continue meditating on your death to help us meditate on ours. Uh, and in the, in the process, you're continuing to do that. But there's also this Lenten journal, which is coming out, which I think is uh, just fantastic, helping other people 
um, who, who may not have the access to the same kind of library that you have, uh, to begin meditating over the season of Lent, the concept of their death without fear, but meditating on death in a Catholic way that helps us live a better life today. Yeah, I'm really, I'm really especially excited about the Lenten devotional. Um, this November is when the journal is coming out, and that's a writing journal that has quotes from from the saints and church fathers, and also quotes that I've tweeted over time. And then it has prayers in the back that people can pray, and and it's an introduction to Memento Mori. So I, I kind of, I feel like these projects are kind of building up to one another because. Um, you know, people have just been getting these very short tweets from me every day for over a year now. And then the journal is going to help help people to move to the, the next step to actually think about it and to work it out on paper, you know, as they journal to really think about their death and to read these quotes and have it be helpful to them and also to incorporate it into their prayer life. But then the Lenten devotional to me is... Um, I, I'm really hoping that people that that will be helpful to people because it's really I, I write a reflection about the the day's readings for each day of Lent, but then I also have um, writings from the early church fathers and from many of the saints and more extensive writings because I've been tweeting out very short quotes, right. but these these are a little bit longer, a little bit deeper, a little bit richer, and so I really think that it's it's going to help people to really incorporate this into their life. Because just reading a tweet every once in a while is, that's one thing. And I, and I think I'm, I'm sure, and I know that it has been helpful to people, but I know also for myself that incorporating this daily into my life in a real way has changed my life. And I know it has the potential to do that for other people. Um, so I'm hoping that, that, that these projects will help people to really in a concrete way, start meditating on their death. Let's talk about the, the, the journal a little bit more because you're talking about, yeah, we've been reading these tweets every day. Uh, we've been meditating on our deaths to some extent, but we, there's this, uh, this habitual scrolling that we go through. We see something that's interesting and we respond to it by clicking the retweet button and we've done our due diligence. And then we move on to the next interesting thing as we scroll, uh, endlessly because there's always more content to consume. Uh, and so, yes, we are exposed to the fact that we're going to die. We have this memento mori out in front of us. And yet, there is something that the, the process of writing does for a person that helps uh, order thoughts more than even sitting in silence for a long time. Because a lot of, you know, if we just sit in silence and meditate on our death in that way, very often we end up thinking about the same thought over and over and over. And there's something in that process of writing out that allows the thought to progress. Uh, and so I'm personally very excited about the journal because you've got still those little quotes and those things that will help spawn the conversation within ourselves. But then there's mm -hmm. space to then begin to explore it within ourselves and to explore our own fears and our, our own thoughts of inadequacy or our own thoughts of, oh, I can never make it to this place. And then to dialogue with the Holy Spirit through the process of that writing uh, to come to a truly Catholic understanding. Yeah, that's a really great, great articulation of the purpose of the journal. And I know that, you know, for some people, they're not journalers. It's not going to be something that's helpful to them. But but I'm a writer, and I think a lot of people find that anyone who journals knows that when they sit down to write, they don't know what's going to come out. But it, 
it's a it's a deeper way of kind of reaching into your contemplation and articulating what's happening with God and expressing to God what you're feeling and what's going on. And I think that's really important in, in, in meditating on your death because it can be a scary thing to face. I think it's, it's why um, the practice has gone to the wayside a lot in the tradition of the church. A lot of people have forgotten about it because it's an uncomfortable subject. It's not something we want to really think about. And that's in general culture as well. So I think I think the journal will help people to to kind of work out some of those fears and anxieties and to hear God's voice in the midst of them. Mm-hmm. And that journal is now available for pre-order over at pauline.org, pauline.org. Uh, that is the, the Remember Your Death, the Memento Mori Journal. Uh, thank you, Sister Teresa Alethea, for joining us. She is a, a daughter of St. Paul. Uh, find out more about her and the, these tweets by going over to Twitter. Follow her at Pursued by Truth or go to PursuedByTruth.com. We're going to continue this conversation with Sister Teresa Alethea Noble right after this break. So don't go anywhere. There's a lot that we still have to talk about. Sister, thanks for being with us today. Thanks so much for having me on, Timothy. Join me over on social media, Facebook.com slash Step Outside the Walls on Twitter the handles at outside the walls. I want to talk to you about your experience as you've thought about process death. Is there a practice that you have that reminds you of how you should prioritize your day? Come tell us over there with the hashtag memento Mori. We'll be right back right after this. You're listening to outside the walls with Timothy Putnam. Back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. Today we're talking about remembering our death and how that can impact us, how that can influence us in a positive way to help us order our priorities uh, toward the kingdom of heaven, about bringing about God's kingdom here on earth. To explore that topic today, we're talking with Sister Teresa Alethea Noble. She's a daughter of St. Paul, author of the book, The Prodigal You Loved, Inviting Loved Ones Back to the Church, and two books that are coming out in November, Remember Your Death, a Memento Mori Journal, and Remember Your Death, Memento Mori Lenten Devotional. Both of those came as the result of her spending a little time every day for over a year contemplating her own mortality and meditating on her own death, and doing so in a public way over on her Twitter. You can follow those thoughts by going over to Twitter and following at Pursued by Truth, and then most of those have the hashtag Memento Mori. Uh, It's worth going to look through those, both to watch her own journey as she goes through this, but also to find some fantastic quotes from the saints and those who have gone before who have done this practice as well and contemplated their own death. Sister, thank you again so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me on, Timothy. I want to talk to you a little bit about the most surprising thing that you learned about yourself through this Memento Mori uh, experience as you've been meditating on your death and, and for now nearly 500 days, uh, what has surprised you the most about 
who you are as a person and who you are growing into uh, by virtue of meditating on this? You know, I think I was pretty aware that I had a difficult time believing in heaven. Um, and that was something that was brought to my awareness when my grandmother died. The, it was the first year that I entered the convent that she died. And I had a really difficult time with that. And I remember thinking, you know, I'm having, I'm having a hard time believing in heaven. That's why I'm having a hard time believing in this. Um, and I can believe in God in this life somehow that he's present to me in this life is something that I'm able to believe and have faith in, although I still sometimes doubt that, to be honest. But um, but heaven was a, was a real difficult leap for me. And so this meditation on death has really helped me to um, to look at my life from a wider perspective and to have a, to strengthen my faith in heaven which is, which is really, really strengthening your faith in heaven is strengthening your faith in God because heaven is union with God. So this process, I, I really think it has helped me, you know, not only to think at the end of my life, I'm going to go to heaven, but right now I want to live for heaven. And so in each and every choice that I make, I'm thinking about it from a wider perspective, not just I want to be a holy person in this situation, but I want to be a holy person because at the end of my life, I want to be a holy person. I'm just, it just widens the scope of, of your decision-making of your interactions with other people. And so that has concretely helped me to just, um, to have greater hope and to face life with greater hope. Yeah. I have a, a Protestant friend of mine who, who expresses that phrase this way. He says, I want to live in such a way that when I get to heaven, I don't notice any real big change. Absolutely. That I'm living that union with God so much of my daily choices that when I reach that beatific vision and I have true union with God, it's like, oh yeah, I recognize this. Uh, I didn't have it in its fullness, but I recognize this from how I live my life. That's the beautiful way to put it. I want to go back. Uh, you mentioned something uh, right at the beginning of that, talking about um, that sometimes you had difficulty uh, specifically with heaven, but you said that sometimes you even still have that doubt of of God's presence with you right now. And there's this urge um, to shush those voices and to say, oh, well, no, uh, if we're going to be truly good and right and holy, we can't have any doubts and we have to... Um, to, you know, push in the corner of those people who express doubts. But mm -hmm. I look at the life of uh, Mother Teresa, St. Teresa of Calcutta, who experienced a, a profound sense of, of loss and, and just a quietness of the voice of God, not hearing him as clearly as she had in her youth. And, and that comes with doubts. And mm -hmm. how... What would you say to someone who either is uncomfortable with others who are expressing doubt or they are worried about the doubt that they themselves are experiencing? Uh, as someone yourself who experiences that doubt from time to time, as I do, uh, how do you come to a place within that sense of faith of um, finding consolation and finding uh, a deeper connection with God in the midst of that? I, I've thought about this a lot because I'm a natural, naturally doubtful person. Um, I think there's a difference between 
you know, Mother Teresa or mm, Teresa of Lisieux before she died, she went through kind of this dark period where she just didn't feel God's presence. Um, and then there's also just kind of this um, this involuntary doubt. The, the catechism calls it involuntary doubt. It's not sinful. It's just human. You just have these doubts that come to your mind, and that's what happens to human beings. So I think sometimes in, in our church, when we make it seem like people shouldn't be expressing doubts or if that's that or as if that's just not a part of faith or their faith just must not be strong enough I don't think that's helpful to people especially people like me who are naturally skeptical I think we really need to encourage people to face their doubts and I think that's actually a lot of what meditating on death is about because you know there's there's this Pascal's wager I'm going to live I'm going to live for heaven just because it's if it happens to be true, it's it's better that I live for heaven than that I go to hell, right. <laughs> you know. But death kind of puts you face to face with that reality. Like, is there really an afterlife? Am I really living this life that is going to lead to what I believe in? Mm-hmm. And that can that can make you come face to face with doubts. And I think that's why people don't want to meditate on their death. Um, but I think we need to face those doubts. I think we need to allow those doubts to kind of rise up in us and not to feed them and nourish them, but just allow them to be and to, to put our faith in God in the process of that kind of letting the doubts rise to the surface. And now I would say, you know, the difference between me now and me when I was an atheist is not necessarily how much doubt I carry with me because to be honest, I, I doubt things all the time and I have these thoughts all the time. Like I wonder if that's really real or I I hope, you know, but, but I just don't take them as seriously. I take God much more seriously now than I do my doubts. But I, but at the same time, I think, I think we need to allow our doubts to rise to the surface. Well, you know, I think as we, hide our doubts as we shove them down and bury them what we're do what, what do you what happens to buried things they grow right uh mm-hmm. y- you plant that seed of doubt and you suppress it and it's only going to uh to flourish and to become a, a stronger doubt it's by letting the doubt come up and looking at it face to face and examining it clearly uh that mm-hmm. that we can begin to see where it falls short and to begin to look at it through the gift of faith that's given to us uh, to begin to allow the, the light of God to shine on that doubt and to show us again, to prove himself even more fully uh, that he overcomes that doubt. Exactly. And I, th- I think it's, it's the same with meditating on death. When we repress it, when we refuse to think about it, it just becomes stronger. The fear becomes stronger. It, it becomes expressed in our life in different ways. But allowing it to come to the surface, facing it and facing all of those doubts help us to, to lose the fear of death. Because really, Thomas Aquinas said Christ died so that by dying, he might deliver us from the fear of death. So that, that's, that's a you know, I'm, I'm not there yet, but, but right. that is our call as Christians to face death and to meditate on it so that over time, the, the fear of death can lose its sting. Sister Teresa Alethea, um, you've spent the last year and, and a bit meditating on death every day. What's the difference between uh, 
having a uh, an understanding and a meditation on death and having a death wish or a uh, a morbid curiosity with death. Yeah, I think there are a lot of different ways that people meditate on death. For instance, the Stoics, and there are still modern-day Stoics who meditate on death inspired by Stoic philosophers and Marcus Aurelius, and, and they do it in order to kind of make the most of their life. And I, th- I think that's positive, and I think there's a secular way that people can use meditation on death that, that's helpful. Um, but I also think there there is um, an obsession with death or with darkness and dark things that can be almost diabolical and, and, and very negative for people. And sometimes people get confused with what I'm doing and think, think that's what I'm doing. And, but it's really what, what I'm doing is helping to kind of combat that negativity and that, uh, that obsession with darkness and death that can take over people sometimes. As you have interacted with other people through this process, we started off with what's the most surprising thing that you have encountered through meditating on death. What have you found is the most surprising story that someone else brought to you that they encountered through being introduced to this practice by you? You know, several people have told me that they've gone back to church after beginning to meditate on death and from reading my tweets, which um, isn't surprising to me because I think it's, it's something that can help us to, you know, we start to live in the way that we really want to live when we, when we think when we realize that our life is short. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's okay to say this because she's actually going to write a review for, for the journal and the Lenten devotional, but Leticia Adams, who has a blog on Pathios, Broken Roses, Mm -hmm. her son committed suicide and she, uh, and you know, I, I, I knew her and have a online relationship with her. So when I started doing Memento Mori things, I was, I was aware that she followed me on Twitter and that we followed each other. And and I was a little worried that it would bother her, but she's actually shared with me that, that it's been very helpful to her to, to work through her son's death um, and to really think about how Christ has transformed death. And so that's been a huge uh, sign to me of just how God is working through this uh, to work in other people's lives. It's very inspiring. Mm -hmm. Again, that, that journal uh, is available for pre-order right now over at pauline.org and the book, the Linton devotional, when will that be available uh, for, for purchase? The Linton devotional um, right now, people can buy both the journal and the Linton devotional. They can pre-order that. Um, that will be available until November 2nd. And then the pre-orders for the Linton devotional will, will probably be go- happening in January. All right. Sister Teresa Alethea, thank you for your time today. Love talking to you again. Thank you for having me on the show. You can follow Sister Teresa Alethea on Twitter by going to at Pursued by Truth. Go to PursuedByTruth.com to find all of her social media, including a Spotify playlist for Memento Mori. You can order that journal and the Lenten devotional over at Pauline.org. Join me over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls on Twitter. The handles at outside the walls. And we are talking about memento mori, remembering our death. Maybe share a little bit about your experience with that over on social media. There's much more to come right after this. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to outside the walls with Timothy Putnam.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. We've been talking today about the practice of remembering our death, not so much, you know, being fixated on death or or having an unhealthy attachment to death, but just acknowledging the fact that all of us are going to die one day and to allow that knowledge to impact the way we set our priorities today. Uh, We've been talking with Sister Teresa Alethea Noble of the Daughters of St. Paul. If you missed any part of this show or you want to share it with your friends, have no fear. It's archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. While you're there, you can find links to our social media as well as uh, our station lists of what time and places you can catch us on air. Additionally, you can find extra segments under the Patreon link. Click that Patreon link that says support the show. And for as little as $5 a month, you can get access to all the extra segments that we produce. Uh, Every week, we like to give you a little bit of a deeper dive into the week's topic, anywhere from 8 to 15 minutes of extra content. So go take a look at that over at OutsideTheWalls.com. I want to turn our attention now to our reading from Scripture and Church History, and today they line up so well with our topic. Uh, and of course, the church has these readings set, and I don't always look at them before we decide uh, what topic or what guest we want to invite, and I just love it when they line up so perfectly like they have this week. Our reading from Scripture comes from the Gospel of Luke. At that time, so many people were crowded together that they were trampling one another underfoot. Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, Beware the leaven, that is the hypocrisy, of the Pharisees. There is nothing concealed that will not be revealed, nor secret that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the darkness will be heard in the light, and what you have whispered behind closed doors will be proclaimed on the housetops. And tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but after that can do no more. Be afraid of the one who, after killing, has the power to cast into Gehenna. Yes, I tell you, be afraid of that one. Are not five sparrows sold for two small coins? Yet not one of them has escaped the notice of God. Even the hairs of your head have all been counted. Do not be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. That reading comes from the Gospel of Luke, and there are a couple of things going on here that I I find interesting. First of all, there's this reminder that our death is coming. Don't be afraid of, of death itself. Don't be afraid of the fact that your body is going to die or of the person who could bring about that death, of those who will kill the body but can do no more. Rather, pay attention to the eternal Pay attention to the one who, after killing, has the power to cast into Gehenna. Uh, how are we living our lives in light of the fact that we have an eternal soul that will either be united with God in the afterlife or will be separated from God in the afterlife? Hopefully that that knowledge of the shortness of life and the length of eternity will help us to order our priorities in a way that please God. So I love that Jesus says, you should be afraid of the one who has the power to cast you into hell, right? And then he goes on immediately to say, but don't be afraid because the smallest creature is noticed by God. Every tiny little hair on top of your head has been counted and you are worth more 
than these small sparrows that God cares for and notices. So don't be afraid. But if you were going to be afraid of someone, be afraid of the one who has the power over your eternity. Uh, we get so caught up with the, the stresses and the fears of this life and the, the temporal things that are passing away. And we don't spend enough time really contemplating those things that last forever. Our reading from church history comes from a letter to Proba by St. Augustine. Why, in our fear of not praying as we should, do we turn to so many things to find what we should pray for? Why do we not say instead, in the words of the psalm, I've asked one thing from the Lord, this is what I will seek, to dwell in the Lord's house all the days of my life, to see the graciousness of the Lord and to visit his temple. There, the days do not come and go in succession, and the beginning of one day does not mean the end of another. All days are one, simultaneously and without end. And the life lived out in these days has itself no end. So that we might obtain this life of happiness, he who is true life itself taught us to pray, not in many words as though speaking longer could gain us a hearing. After all, we pray to the one who, as the Lord himself tells us, knows what we need before we ask it. Why he should ask us to pray when he knows what we need before we ask him may perplex us if we do not realize that our Lord and God does not want to know what we want, for he cannot fail to know it, but wants us, rather, to exercise our desire through our prayers so that we may be able to receive what he is preparing to give us. His gift is very great indeed, but our capacity is too small and limited to receive it. That is why we are told, enlarge your desires. Do not bear the yoke with unbelievers. The deeper our faith, the stronger our hope, the greater our desire, the larger will be our capacity to receive that gift, which is very great indeed. No eye has seen it, it has no color. No ear has heard it, it has no sound. It has not entered man's heart. Man's heart must enter into it. In this faith, hope, and love, we pray, always with unwearied desire. However, at set times and seasons, we also pray to God in words so that by these signs, we may instruct ourselves and mark the progress we have made in our desire and spur ourselves on to deepen it. The more fervent the desire, the more worthy will be its fruit. When the apostle tells us, pray without ceasing, he means this, Desire unceasingly that life of happiness, which is nothing if not eternal, and ask it of him who alone is able to give the gift. That reading comes from the, a letter to Proba by St. Augustine. And I love this idea of, of praying for that one thing. Uh, he brings up this psalm, which is one of my life's verses and, and has really uh, impacted the decisions I've made as we're talking about setting priorities based on this. Uh, this has been one of those things that's been a, a guiding uh, pillar for me. Uh, one thing I ask, and that I would seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever and gaze upon his beauty. If that's our prayer, God will not fail to answer it. Uh, 
you know, I, I came from um, a, a Protestant background that had little smatterings of this idea of prosperity gospel. It wasn't uh, really found in my tradition, um, but little, uh, you know, Sunday school teachers or whatnot that I had uh, kind of brought that seasoning into that that um, faith tradition I was a part of. This idea that God wants you to be happy and God wants to give you every prayer that you pray. And if you pray just the right way, you'll get that thing that you ask for. You'll get the healing. You'll get the uh, the, the raise. You'll get the financial stability that you need. Uh, and, and so this idea that all suffering is bad and that if you know the right way to pray, God will take all suffering away and you'll never have to deal with anything painful again. Now, this is not what the Catholic Church teaches at all. Um, in fact, we talk about the fact that suffering can be redemptive. We've uh, done a few episodes on that in the past. You can, again, find the archives over at OutsideTheWalls.com. But um, I love this specific idea that instead of trying to figure out what we should pray or what the right way, the right formula to pray is, why don't we just pray one thing I ask? And that I will seek to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and to gaze upon his beauty. If this is our prayer, if this is how we uh, order ourselves and, and shape our desires, then the rest of the things that we need to pray for, the rest of those things that we need to receive from God, those will be formed in us. It's this idea that not only do we need to pray without ceasing, but we need to allow God to form our desires. Because I don't know about you, but I can want things, uh, and I can want things pretty strongly that do not bring about the kingdom of God on earth. I can want things that are merely for my own pleasure or my own entertainment uh, and that, that don't bring about any eternal good either to myself or to others. And so St. Augustine is encouraging Proba and also encouraging you and I to spend that time in prayer ordering ourselves and orienting ourselves uh, to just sit in the presence of God, to just be with God and to let that proximity begin to shape who we are begin to form our priorities because we're gazing on the beauty of the Lord and we become that which we look at, that which we gaze upon, uh, we turn into. That which we feed upon uh, is metabolized into us. And so if we are feeding on the pleasures of this life, that is what's going to take up all of our time and our attention. But if we are feeding on the Eucharist, on Christ himself, we will be made into his likeness more and more. If we focus on him and fix our gaze upon him, then he will shape our desires to want the very gifts that he so desperately wants to give us. That's all the time we have for today. Today's show was brought to you by Lillian Vogel and all those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click the Patreon link, and join their numbers. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.